Obviously, I'm not Pastor Mike. Just a follow-up to Ryan's announcement about Back to Church Sunday. Not only is there a Connections Pastor, he's my nephew for some of you that need to know that. And we're going to combine that day, and that'll be Ryan's Farewell Sunday. Just so, okay? <laughs> well, on that note... <laughs> I won't tell you guys who my favorite team is, all right? <laughs> well, good morning, and welcome to Morning Star Fellowship. I'm Pastor Mike, and whether you're a first-time guest or a returning guest, we are glad that you are joining us this morning. Um, Pastor John mentioned it earlier, but I actually want to give a round of applause to all the volunteers who've been helping out with Pennsburg the last couple of weeks. You guys have done rock-solid job, so again, I just want to... And as Pastor John said, there will be emails coming out for more opportunities to help and volunteer there. Um, we're continuing our series called uh, Mind Hack, and over the last three weeks or so, we've been uh, discussing how we can change our lives by changing our minds. And I actually want to read something from uh, the book called Switch on Your Brain, where the idea of this series came from. And it says this, it is with our minds that we reject or believe lies of the enemy, the prince of lies. It is with our minds that we change the physical reality of the brain to reflect our choices. It is with our minds that we decide to follow God's rule and live in peace despite what is going on around us. It is with our minds that we choose to follow the lies of Satan and spiral into mental, physical, and spiritual disarray. So as we've discussed throughout this series, um, we have a choice. Our minds are powerful, and we have choices every day on how we can live our lives. And, and one of the choices we have is we can either choose to, to live in sin or we can choose to follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And today, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about sin and we're going to be talking about salvation through Christ. And I'll be completely honest with you. I've been terrified to give this message for the last two weeks. Um, I, I've wrestled around back and forth with this message. I think I've edited it 12 times. Uh, thank you, Tim Landis, for cooperating with me on that. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, I've had to battle through some insecurities, I've ha and I thank all of you who have been uh, praying for not just myself, but the rest of the staff as we get ready for this message. So would you just join me in prayer as we get ready? God, we thank you. I thank you for every individual that is here today, Lord God. I pray today that you use me as a vessel today, Lord God, that it is your words and that it's not my words, Lord God. And I pray, as challenging as this message may be, Lord God, I pray everyone in here, including myself, know that this is, this is truth that we need to hear, but I'm coming at it in a, in a loving way, that there's no condemnation here going on, but just speaking truth and showing why we need a Savior, why we need you, Jesus. We give you the glory and praise of what's going to happen here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I keep saying tonight because that's when I preach to the students on Wednesday night. So, <laughs> um, well, all right. Um, so I actually have a story to tell you guys before we get into this. Uh, so last month, Rachel and I, my wife is sitting right down here, um, we found out we had a mouse problem. And here's how this found out. I was washing dishes on a Thursday night, and... Uh, 
towards the end when I was doing silverware in that, I noticed four legs, a long tail, and some teeth looking at me. And I went, ah! Rachel probably thinks my loud was a little bit higher pitch, but we're just going to leave it as it is. And so I, I text my neighbor next door. He's like, oh, here, let me help you out. I've got some extra traps for you. The next day, I bought some more traps. And we Googled that if you put peanut butter on the traps, that's the best way you can catch the mouse. And we're like, OK. So four days later, five days later, uh, I had to run to the apartment real quickly uh, to get shoes because we're going to go to the gym with Pastor Ryan and Pastor Jonathan. And to my surprise, one of the traps that we set up on the freezer, there was a dead mouse hanging from the freezer, and I was like, not what I was looking forward to. Um, I say all this, and I use that analogy because we can be like the mouse when it comes to our sin. We, we see the peanut butter, it looks good, we see the, the commercial of sin, and it, and it entices us, and it tells us to go, and so we nibble at it a little bit, and we try to sneak around, and we do some more and some more until finally... Boom. <laughs> the sin, we see the destruction of sin. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, that, or this morning, that sin leads to destruction, but salvation is found through Jesus Christ. Sin brings dis- destruction, but salvation is, br- salvation is brought through Jesus Christ. And before we can talk about salvation, before we get to the great news We need to talk about the bad news, and we need to talk about the problems and uh, what sin is. So here are four things we need to know about sin. Number one is that sin is the opposite of God and good. Sin is the opposite of God and good. Psalm 111.7 and Job 34.10 share the following about the goodness of God. The works of his hands are truth and absolute justice. All his precepts are sure, established, reliable, and trustworthy. Therefore, hear me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God that he would do wickedness and from the Almighty do wrong. See, I think one of the lies that the enemy tries, tries to plant in our minds is that we, have to, that, we can, that we doubt God or that we can't trust God. And this, this actually happened way in the beginning in the garden um, when Satan had a conversation with Eve. So in Genesis 3, 1 through 5, this is what it says. Now the serpent was more crafty, subtle, skilled, and deceit than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent Satan said to the woman, Can it really be that God has said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat, from, we may eat fruit from the tree of the garden except the fruit from the tree which is in the middle of the garden. God said, you shall not eat from from it, nor touch it, otherwise you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die, for God knows that one day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, that is, you will have greater awareness, and you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. Notice what Satan did in verses 1 through 4. He plants the thoughts into Eve's mind that she can't trust God, and that God has lied to her. Satan also plants the seed of pride into her mind, making her think that she can be like God or be better than God. Listen, I'm not God. No one in here is God. 
God's in control. He can handle it. Let's let him be the potter and let him mold us into the people he's called us to be. Number two, sin is the opposite of love. Jesus shares the following as what to look out for, especially during the end times. Because lawlessness is increased, the love of most people will grow cold. See, Jesus points out that our sins, because of our untamed thoughts, make us love other people less. We get angry. We don't have compassion. There's always division. And and what sin does, it doesn't actually value humanity. It wants to destroy it. And one thing that we're seeing of late, over the last several years, is gun violence. Now, I'm not here to get political with you today or anything like that. That's not my point. But the media, the world, we want to blame different things. You know, is it the guns? Is it our government? Is it video games? Is it a mass of different things? But that's only surface-level stuff. If we really, truly want to understand what's going on, we need to understand that there's a spirit of anger hatred and division that's going that's sweeping across America right now and we need to get on our knees and ask God for forgiveness and humbly ask him to give us a heart that get and spirit that gives us joy peace and love no governmental program no banning of anything is going to change America if America is going to change we need to go back to the root of God Number three, sin is always an inward focus. Sin is always an inward focus. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder, unrest, rebellion, and every evil thing and morally disgrading practice. Rick Warren actually taught this once, and he was taught this by his father. If you look at the word sin, notice what letter is in the middle of it. I, right? It's It's the letter... I. And so sin can always be traced back to some to selfish needs and desires. Here are just a couple I'm going to give you. Number one, pride. I can do this all by myself. I don't need your help. And if I find out that I need your help, if I feel like I don't understand this, I'm going to beat you down and make you feel worthless to raise myself up. Crime says, I want a particular item that you have that I don't have. So I'm going to hurt you for it. Racism and sexism. I believe the color of my skin or my gender is more superior than yours. Criticizing. I'm insecure about who I am, so I will find everything wrong about you to make myself feel better. And then lying. I'm insecure how the person will respond to the truth, so I don't want to hurt the person, so I'll tell them that everything's okay or nothing ever happened. See, it's important for us to recognize when we pull towards our sin, which can be easily, that can easily happen, it's very easy for us to rationalize our, our sins. It's very easy for us to make excuses for our sins. And I'm here to tell you, rationalizing our sins are just rational lies. It's just a bunch of excuses. We need to look in the mirror and confront our hearts and confront ourselves and saying, I lie, I lied, I sinned. I need to ask for forgiveness. 
Number four, sin is always unbelief. Sin is always unbelief. In John chapter 16, Jesus discussed the promise of the Holy Spirit, and he shares the following. And he, when he comes, will convict the world about the guilt of sin and the need for a Savior and about righteousness and about judgment, about sin and the true nature of it because they don't believe in me and my message. Simply put, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, we all have two choices. We're either going to accept the truth or we're going to deny the truth. We're going to harden our hearts, which means we're closing our minds to the reality of the sin is hurting me right now. Or I'm not a sinner. Now that we understand a little bit about what sin is, we need to see the problems of sin. And we're going to park a little bit um, in the book of Jeremiah. How many of you have ever read the book of Jeremiah? All right. It is one of the most convicting books I've ever read. Um, And if you haven't read it, I highly encourage you to read it. Um, But the prophet Jeremiah, he was not a bullfrog, by the way. Um, (laughs) I'm glad you got, I'm glad you got, some of you got that. All right. So the prophet Jeremiah, during his time in Jerusalem, he was considered a wailing prophet. And in today's, quote, success ministry, people would have said he wasn't successful. But in God's eyes, he was successful. He was obedient. And what Jeremiah the prophet preached was cursing and blessing. He preached repentance and forgiveness to all of Jerusalem, saying, listen, God is asking you to repent, and if you don't repent, this curse will happen. But if you do repent, God will give compassion and blessing. And no one wanted to hear it. No one wanted to hear Jeremiah's words. In fact, there were prophets and and false preachers that were saying, you know what, Jeremiah's gone crazy. There's no doom and gloom. There's no sword. Don't worry about it. We'll be fine. Does that sound familiar to today's culture? We have preachers that preach good news and everything will be okay and we open our ears to feel-good messages that will get you motivated till Monday afternoon. But when we're we're confronted with the truth and the reality of what's going on, we close our ears. That's a problem. If we don't understand the bad news, we'll never understand our need for a Savior. So after warning and pleading with the people of Israel to repent, they didn't. They didn't repent. And there was destruction in Jerusalem and Judah. We're going to pick up in chapter 42, where there's a group of people who are deciding whether they should stay in Judah or they should go to Egypt after the Babylonian conquest. Starting in verse 1, it reads, in chapter 42 of Jeremiah, Then all the commanders of the forces, and Johanna, the son of Korea, and Jezaniah, the son of Hosanna, And all the people from the least to the greatest approached and said to Jeremiah the prophet, Please let our petition be presented before you and pray to the Lord your God for us. That is for all this remnant of the people of Judah, for we were once many, but now only a few of us are left, as you see with your own eyes. So please pray that the Lord your God may show us the way in which we would walk 
and the thing that we should do. Then Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard you, now hear me. I will pray to the Lord your God in accordance with your word, and I will declare to you whatever message the Lord answers. I will keep nothing back from you. Then they said to Jeremiah, May the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we fail to act in accordance with all the things that the Lord your God sends you to tell us. Whether it is pleasant or unpleasant, we will listen to and honor the voice of the Lord our God to whom we are sending you, so that it may go well with us when we listen to the voice of the Lord our God. I find it interesting that the people now want to listen to Jeremiah. Now they turn to God after all the doom and gloom. That happened because they didn't repent of their sins. And so Jeremiah agrees, and for the next ten days he prays, and he finally receives a word from the Lord. And here's the first part of what happens. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition before him. If you will indeed remain in this land, then I will build you up and not tear you down. And I will plant you and not uproot you. For I will relent and be satisfied concerning the disaster that I have inflicted on you as discipline, and I will replace judgment with compassion. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you now fear, as if he were deity. Do not be afraid of him, says the Lord, for he is a mere man, but I am the living, omniscient God, and I am with you always to protect you and to deliver you from his hand. And I will show you compassion so that he will have compassion on you and restore you to your own land. Listen to what God is saying. God is saying, guys, I understand things are tough right now. I understand that you have to go through the consequences of your sinful nature that has happened. But I promise you, if you just trust me, if you just believe me, I will restore all things. I will make all things new. He even says, I will turn my judgment into compassion. And I think about that in my own life. How many times does God say, hey, stay, stay, don't go. Don't try to do this on your own. And I think of how many times that's brought destruction in my own life. And and something we can all ask ourselves right now is, am I trusting God with my entire life? Am I trusting God with my entire life? Am I willing to go to our Lord and Savior and say, God, I'm struggling with this? So, if the people decide to stay and trust God, they will be restored. But what will happen if they don't listen to God? See what Jeremiah says, starting at verse 13. But if you are going to say, we, are, we will not stay in this land, and in so doing, do not listen to the voice of the Lord your God, saying, no, but we will go to the land of Egypt, where we will not see war or hear the sound of the warrior's trumpet or hunger for bread, and we will stay there. Then in that case, listen to the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if you are really determined to go to Egypt and to reside there temporarily, then the sword of which you are afraid of will overtake you there in the land of Egypt. And the famine of which you are afraid of will follow closely after you in Egypt, and you will die there. So all the men who set their mind to go to Egypt 
to reside there temporarily will die by the sword, by famine, and by virtual disease. None of them will remain or survive the disaster that I'm going to bring on them. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as my anger and my wrath have been poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so my wrath will be poured out on you when you enter Egypt. You will become detested, an object of horror, a curse, and a people scorned, and you will no longer see this place. The Lord has spoken to you, O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt. And we can read this, maybe, let me talk to myself. I read this first time, and I'm thinking, God, isn't that a little harsh? I mean, they're just trying to, and what I was thinking was they're just trying to run away from the destruction and everything like that. God, help me understand really what's going on here. And it came to me, it's not so much that they're running away from the destruction. They're running away from the consequences of their sins. It's not so much that they're running away from the destruction that's happened. They're running away from the consequences of their sins. God said, if you repent, you don't have to worry about this. But because you haven't repented, because you lived in your sinful nature, this is your punishment. And I think back to when I was a kid. Mom and dad may agree with, may know what I'm talking about here. When I was 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, any time I picked up my sister, if I didn't do anything right, if I didn't do the laundry, whatever it may be, I was sent to the corner. And so I had to stand in this corner between my basement door and um, where our TV was, and I had to stand there for a certain amount of time. Sometimes it was 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, depending on the punishment there, okay? There were times I would try to leave that corner when mom and dad weren't looking. And if they caught me, they said, you're in the corner for another five minutes. You're in there for another five minutes. So we would just build. I remember, I think, one time I got to an hour. (laughs) But here's my point. I still had to face the consequences of what was going on. We have to face the consequences of our, our sinful actions. And some of you in this room right now have been going through the same lesson five, six, seven times, and you're like, what is going on? I don't understand. And, and here's the thing. Maybe there's something going on that you haven't repented for. Maybe there's something you haven't asked forgive, forgiveness for. And, and here's what God is saying as well. If you're running away from Judah, this is going to happen to Egypt. Your lesson's going to continue until your lesson's learned. Your lesson continues until your lesson is learned. If you don't like what's being harvested right now, it's time to change some seeds. So what will the people do? They have a choice. They can stay in Judah, suffer the consequences right now, but be restored later, or they can leave and face destruction yet again. Let's see what chapter 43 says. You are not telling the truth. The Lord our God has not sent you to say, do not go into Egypt to live there. And all the people disobeyed the voice of the Lord, which told them to stay in the land of Judah. I couldn't believe it. When I first read this, I was sitting at my kitchen table when I read this part. I literally jumped out and I went, how foolish can you be? 
Seriously. <laughs> Seriously, how foolish could they be? They just went through destruction. They just went to Jeremiah saying, we will obey, we will listen, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, we will tremble to the God. Well, to, to God. And what do they do? No, nah, we, we, don't, we don't trust you, Jeremiah. You're crazy again. But in a split second, I went from how foolish could these people be to how foolish am I? How foolish am I? How many times have I ever turned, turned away from God and said, I'm not doing that. And I started weeping. I started crying. And then I started thinking more as I'm reading this and, and God lays it on my heart. The judgment that we're seeing in Israel and Judah at that time is a foreshadow of what's going to happen on Judgment Day. And there are going to be people will say no to God. There are going to be people who will reject God and His authority. There will be people there will be people who will be punished for the rest of eternity. That's the reality. I don't know about you. I don't want to see that happen. I don't want to see many people go, go to hell. That's why it is our responsibilities, brothers and sisters in Christ, to share the great news of the gospel message. You really think up here right now, I want to preach bad news and sin? No. My human nature is saying, ah, just tell them something good and off you go. But until we understand this truth, again, we'll never understand our need for a Savior. So there are three things we can take away, or three thoughts that way we can think of sin differently. Number one, sin angers and breaks the heart of God. Sin angers and breaks the heart of God. We have read throughout this passage where the sins of the people of Israel and Jerusalem and Judah angered God. But there's also an account in Genesis when humanity first fell where God is actually grieving. It says the following, The Lord saw the wick that the wickedness, depravity of man was great on the earth, and that every imagination or intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. The Lord regretted that he had made mankind on the earth and he was deeply grieved in his heart. The text here says that God was deeply grieved over the entire situation. And the Hebrew word for that actually means he was wounded, he was pained, and he was heartbroken. If we're going to change our thoughts when it comes to sin, we need to recognize that sin is not about breaking some rules Sin is not merely about breaking commandments, but it's about breaking and wounding the heart of God. 
And some, some of you may actually be thinking right now, and some argue this, well, if God is such a loving God, why did he bring this destruction? Why do things happen the way that they do? If he's such a loving God, where is he? I'm going to turn the question around. It's not so much how much God loves us. My question is for you is how much do you love God? It's not so much how, God, how much God loves you. The question is how much do you love God? Because I know God loves you because he sent his only begotten son to die for you. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and for whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Next verse, Jesus says, I did not come to condemn the world but to save the world. Don't tell me God doesn't love you. I'm going to ask you again, how much do you love God? Number two, sin does long-term damage. Sin does long-term damage. The sins of the people in Israel held them into captivity. And it didn't just affect them, but it affected their children and their children's children as well. See, we need to recognize in our selfish need, our selfish need to sin at times, it doesn't just affect us, but it affects everyone around us and generations to come afterwards. Number three, and every time we sin, something inside of us and around us dies. Something inside of us and around us dies. And one popular thing, and I don't know if the kids use this today still or not, so I'm either going to be old or using this acronym, you guys might not know this. Anyways, there's this acronym called YOLO. (laughs) I don't know if they still use it, but it says you only live once, YOLO. And this idea is that you are free from the consequences. This is your only life, so live it up. Party like it's 19, what is that song, 75 or something? I don't know. Whatever. (laughs) Whatever. And so we say, hey, you want to drink and get drunk? Ah, YOLO, you only have this one life. Hey, you want to cheat on your spouse? Ah, that's okay. YOLO, you only have this life. You want to take drugs? Hey, that's fine. YOLO, this is only your life. Just live it up. But that's, that's a slippery slope to think. That is a slippery way of thinking because here's what Romans 6 says is that for the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23a, for the ro- wages of sin is death. And I preached something similar to this to our, to our students um, early last month. And I remember on the Monday morning or Monday night, I'm thinking about this and it's going through my mind. I'm like, I've heard this verse before. God, why are you wrapping this in my mind right now? And I read it and I'm praying and thinking, God, okay, what are you trying to teach me here? And yes, Paul is talking about a physical death, but he's also talking about everything else as well. Unrepented sin has caused in some of your lives broken relationships. Unrepented sin has caused Nations to fall. We just read it. 
Unrepented sins have caused ministries to fail as well. We need to recognize that the wages of sin is death in anything. And now that I've made everyone upset, (laughs) in doom and gloom, here's the great news. Because someone someone in here, maybe a few of you in here right now, may be recognizing this. Maybe the Spirit is getting a hold of you and you're saying, you know what? Yeah. I recognize my sin. I recognize my sinful nature. But if we're all sinful and God doesn't like sin, what do I need to do? It's not about what you need to do. You can rest and ensure that we have a Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. I was looking for the definition of salvation, actually, and it says this. A source of means of being saved from harm, ruin, or loss. A source of means of being saved from harm, ruin, and loss. Here's the great news that some of you guys have been waiting for. Jesus Christ saves us from the ruin, loss, and death of our sins. He paid a price that we should have, been pay- we should have all paid. I'm not up here today on my own will. I'm up here today because of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The other pastors that are up here, they're not up here because of their own will. They're up here because they're obedient to our God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And here at Morningstar and here at Pensburg, we are going to preach the truth of who the real Jesus Christ is. So how do we break from sin? How do we... How do we get across our minds? How do we think? How do we know about the salvation of Christ? Number one is that we need to understand what Jesus Christ did for us. The Apostle Peter tells us what Jesus actually did. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, willingly offering him on it as an altar of sacrifice that, so that we might die to sin, becoming immune from the penalty and the power of sin, and live for righteousness, for by his wounds you who believe have been healed. Think about it. When Jesus went to the cross, it wasn't just a couple lashings and that was it. He was whipped 39 times. And in those whips, they literally tore his skin. He then had to carry a cross, which he was hung on, nailed on, And in the movies, I know they show that he was really high and he just hung there and that, but actually he had to lift himself up so he could breathe. So you have all, he has all this pain on his back. He's got nails in his feet and his arms and he's got to lift himself up and every time he does, he's feeling that excruciating pain. And while the physical death may have been torturous, the spiritual punishment was even worse. He took on all sins from past, present, and future. And for some of you right now, that doesn't, it's hard to comprehend. I know, I get it. But I promise you, he took on all of that punishment to save you, to save us. And the best way as followers of Christ to live for his his example is if we learn to die to self. If we can learn to serve others, Others, like Christ has taught us, 
Love God with all of our heart and soul and love our neighbor as ourselves. Number two, let God give us a new nature. Let God give us a new nature. Apostle John in 1 John says the following, No one who is born of God deliberately knowing and habitually practices sin because God's seed, his principle of life, the essence of his righteousness character remains permanently in him who is born again, who is reborn from above spiritually, transformed, renewed, and set apart for his purpose. And he who is born again cannot habitually live a life characterized by sin because he is born of God and longs to please him. Apostle John is saying, listen, when the Holy Spirit's in in front of you, when the Holy Spirit grabs you and, and takes control of your heart, the fruit is evident. And the fruit is always better. And and for some of you who have been following Christ for a while, you get this question from time to time. You're different. I knew you five years ago. What's happened? What's changed? And we can point back to the Spirit, what God, the Holy Spirit of what God is doing. But we also need to be careful of this because the Apostle John argues that if change isn't evident in someone, then there is a true sign that they don't know God. Because here's the thing, we can proclaim and say, I know God, I know God, I come on a Sunday, I must know God. You may know him here, but my question is, do you have a relationship here with him? Do you have a relationship here with him? And finally, change the way we think about sin. For the death that he died, he died to sin, ending its power and paying the sinner's debt once and for all, and the life that he lives. He lives to glorify God in an unbroken fellowship with him. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin and your relationship to it broken, but alive to God in unbroken fellowship with him in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust and passions. Do not, do not go on offering members of your body to sin as an instrument of wickedness. But offer yourself to God in a decisive act as those alive raised from the dead to a new life. And your members, all your abilities, sanctified, set apart as an instrument of righteous yield to God. As I mentioned earlier, we have to change our thinking that sin is, no long, is not just about breaking commandments and rules. It's about wounding our relationship with God. When we commit our lives to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, We commit a covenant. We're like in a marriage with him. And when we habitually sin over and over and over and over again, we're continually breaking breaking his heart. Let me ask you for those who are married. You wouldn't purposely, habitually sin to break your husband or wife's heart, right? So why would we do that with God if we're committing our lives to him? So as we close and prepare to worship, and I'll call the, the prayer team up right now as well, we need to understand what our action plan is, and it's simple. We've got a simple action plan moving forward for us. We need to repent, and we need to ask for forgiveness. We need to repent and ask for forgiveness. And would you all stand with me as I, I read here from Psalm 32, starting at verse 5? It says, I acknowledge my sin to you, 
And I did not hide my wickedness. I said, I will confess all my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Jump to verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in and relies on the Lord shall be surrounded with compassion and loving kindness. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, who actively seek right standing with him. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Ladies and gentlemen, you have two choices today. I presented two choices. We've talked about the sin and the death and the consequences that it brings. But I've also talked about there is a Savior. There is eternal life. There is a new way of living, and that is through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And some of you right now, in earlier verses in Psalms, it talks about how when we don't confess our sins, we get weary, our bones are aching, our souls are searching. There's some of you in, that, in this room right now who have never repented to God, ne- re- have rejected God, and you're just destroyed and, and beaten. I'm telling you, today is the day that you can repent. Today is the day that you can commit your lives to following Jesus Christ. And if you're that person for the first time saying, I'm giving it all. I'm surrendering my life. I no longer want to live in destruction and death because of my sinful nature. Will you raise your hand today? I don't see anyone hand raised, but if someone has committed them, if they want to talk to one of our prayer partners afterwards, please do so. And for all of us, who are followers of Christ. Let's remind ourselves as we've been teaching through this sermon series that we must always be more like Christ. We must strive to be more like Christ. We must fall in love with his word. We don't have to read the word. We get to read the word because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. Thanks, guys.